News. WTBN, Pinellas Park. The sovereign Lord of the universe, by the Holy Spirit, has given each of us a unique gift, and probably a unique combination of gifts would be more appropriate. And he's chosen you and he's chosen me to accomplish his will. And these supernatural abilities are given to us to do that. But it doesn't end there. A lot of people think just because they've got a certain spiritual gift and a unique personality, that's it. Then just move out and God's going to use them. But there's more to it than that. Yes, there is more to doing God's will for our lives than just possessing an ability or talent. The Lord must develop character in the believer before he can use that talent for his glory. The prophet Elijah went through some serious training as the Lord refined and molded his character. As fallen, sinful creatures, we will always seek what's best and easiest for us if God hasn't been allowed to shape and mold us into the image of Christ. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a daily study in the Word of God, led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're glad you joined us today for today's lesson on the life of Elijah, that intriguing Old Testament prophet. If you have a Bible handy, turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, here's Pastor Steve. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. And we're dealing with chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. It won't take time to read that now, but as we go through the passage, it will be read. A number of years ago, a well-known pastor speaking to a group of seminary students said these words, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and he crushes him. Let me say that again in case you were turning and not totally listening. He said, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and crushes him. That really sums up the life of Elijah and his exploits as revealed in 1st and 2nd Kings. He was an impossible man, an unlikely man, given the impossible task of calling Israel back to Jehovah when they had apostatized and were following Baal, worship of Baal. He was a rugged mountain man called upon to challenge the religious system of his day. An impossible man given an impossible task. And because his task was so impossible from a human standpoint, God took Elijah and before he ever used him to confront the nation, he crushed him. And this crushing process took place shortly after Elijah marched out of the mountains and into the palace of Ahab and announced God's judgment of no rain nor dew in Israel, he said in, in chapter 17, verse 1, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. That was God's judgment. And then shortly after that, God said, in essence, Elijah, before you face the nation and before you face the prophets of Baal, And before you face your greatest conflicts, I'm going to crush you. It all began by a brook called Kareth. That was the location 
Verses two and three say, and the word of the Lord came to him, saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. That was where the prophet's initial training for an effective public ministry began. And that's what we studied last week. But do you know what the word Kareth means in the Hebrew language? It comes from a Hebrew word which means to cut. To cut. And probably it got its name because of this brook. And the waters from this brook would cut their way through the hills of this desolate area in Palestine. That is probably where it got its name. But more than that, God used this brook to cut into Elijah and to cut him and to crush him so that he would be ready to face the impossible task which the Lord had for him. Now, you may not be called upon by God to have the kind of ministry Elijah was given. In fact, you won't be called upon. I could say that with all authority. You won't be called upon to have that type of a ministry with all those specifics. But the New Testament makes it very clear that God has for each believer in Christ a unique ministry, different than anybody else's ministry. He's given you a different set of gifts. He's given you a different set of abilities. He's given you a unique personality. And all of that is blended together so that you might have that unique ministry that nobody else could possibly have. You may not be well known in your ministry. It may not make the, the front cover of uh, any Christian magazines, but it is a unique ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes this. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And then he goes on to say, one has this gift, another has this gift, another has this gift. But in verse 11, he says, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills, the sovereign Lord of the universe, by the Holy Spirit, has given each of us a unique gift. And probably a unique combination of gifts would be more appropriate. And he's chosen you and he's chosen me to accomplish his will. And these supernatural abilities are given to us to do that. But it doesn't end there. A lot of people think just because they've got a certain spiritual gift and a unique personality, that's it. Then just move out and God's going to use them. But there's more to it than that. Because there's character involved. You see, you still must develop that character in us so that these abilities will be used for his glory and not to inflate our egos. That was the whole problem with the spiritual gifts of the Corinthians. Their gifts were not the problem. It was their inflated ego. And egos that were the problem. And they weren't using it for God's glory. They were using it for their own glory. And that's where the correction comes in. How does the Lord develop this character? Many different circumstances. Many different ways. But mostly through suffering. Very often, he puts us in very painful situations and circumstances in which, given the choice, we would not have chosen for ourselves and he uses these painful situations and circumstances to crush us, to cut us, to mold us. Romans chapter 5 speaks about how, how patience is developed through tribulation. 
steadfastness, painful situations. James chapter 1 says, greet these trials as friends. They're given to help you. Greet them as friends. They're given to mold you. They're given to develop character in you. And I don't know what trial you're going through these days, but I do know this. It's for your own good. And it's for Christ's glory. And it's for your own development. And it's that you might be conformed to his image and he needs to cut you. And he needs to crush you. And God is lovingly crushing you so that you might be ready for that unique ministry he's planned for you. And so don't look at the crushing. Don't look at the circumstances. You look at the larger picture. Someone has said this. When we cannot see the hand of God, we can understand and we can believe the heart of God. You have to believe the heart of God where you're going through a crushing situation. God is good whether the circumstances are good or, or not. You see, we often say, isn't God good when, when we agree with the circumstances? The real test is when you say, isn't God good and the circumstances are not particularly good? See, God is good regardless of the circumstances that you and I face. But he crushes us for our own good, for his good, for his glory. You see, this is why it's so edifying and it's so practical for us to study the life of Elijah. It isn't just history. It, it, it's, it's history woven in with spiritual lessons for us, valuable lessons from his experience on how God trains a person for service. See, before you ever get to the service, you need to be crushed. In fact, I have found that, that many times in our lives do we need to be crushed, not just one. But I think there's an initial schooling that God puts us through for that unique ministry. And we saw last week that God began to cut and chisel away at Elijah while he was attending BBI. Remember the Brook Bible Institute. And there Elijah took three classes, Seclusion 101, Submission 101, and Sustainment 101. And if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to get that tape because last week's message and this week's message really fit together. But the time came for Elijah to graduate from Brook Bible Institute. Verse 7 says this, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. In other words, Elijah, it's graduation. It's time to graduate. In one sense, I would imagine that Elijah was relieved. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but he being a man of like human uh, feelings like we are, I could only imagine that he would be relieved. No more isolation. No more being fed by unclean ravens. No more drinking from a brook he had to share with wild animals. I mean, you have to believe that he was relieved. Elijah's moving on. But, but where? Where's he going to go? There's still drought. There's still famine. Is he ready now to do battle with Ahab, with Jezebel, with the prophets of Baal, with Israel? Not yet. He's not ready yet to face this impossible task. More training is necessary. God's not finished crushing him. So the Lord sends him to a place called Zarephath. And I think he sent him there for graduate school. This is graduate study. I call this message graduate school at Zarephath, or ZTS, Zarephath Theological Seminary. You won't find it listed in any Christian periodical, but you've got to go through it in order to have a public, effective ministry. Now, maybe you're attending ZTS these days. You say, how would I know it? How would I know if I'm there? 
Well, the name Zarephath in the Hebrew language means the place of refining. If you've already been chiseled on and, and cut into and crushed by the Lord and it's not ending, and you recognize that it's not because of sin in your life, and it's not the disciplinary hand of God, then you are probably at Zarephath these days. God is refining you, he is purifying you, and you will come out like precious gold. Now, in order for this to happen, in order for, in order for this purifying effect to take place, Elijah is going to have to learn two lessons, two classes or two lessons. He's going to need a lesson in humility. And he's going to need a lesson in faith. And then he's going to have a final exam. We're going to see if Elijah passes this exam. These are applicable for us. Before anybody can have an effective public ministry, he must go to Zarephath and learn humility and learn faith. And then there's going to be a, a, a uh, final exam. Let's look at the lesson of humility. Now, Elijah has already had a basic course in submitting to God's word when he was told to hide by the brook. But now he's given an even a more difficult order to obey. Look at verses 8 and the beginning of verse 9. The brook's dried up. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Stay there. You say, why is this so difficult? I would think that Elijah would be thrilled to be back in civilization. Well, let me explain to you a little bit about God's instructions to Elijah so that you'll realize that it wasn't as nice as it might appear. The city of Zarephath was probably 75 to 100 miles away from the book, brook uh, Kira. It was through wilderness that Elijah would have to go. They didn't have cars, trains in those days. And he was a wanted man. He was a wanted man. He'd have to come out into the open and expose himself to serious danger. In fact, in chapter 18, verse 10, a man by the name of Obadiah says this, As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master is not sent to search for you. In other words, Elijah, everybody's looking for you. Listen, it's safe by the brook. It wasn't safe to come out from that place of isolation. So that's, that's one reason why it was not such a, 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 uh, an easy task for Elijah. Not only that, but Zarephath was a Gentile city. It was not a city in Israel. You know where it was? It was in Sidon. You know who comes from Sidon? Jezebel. That's headquarters for Jezebel, and it's headquarters for Baal worship. This wasn't a pleasant place. This was the headquarters of Baal, the very, the very thing that Elijah is standing against. And, and Jezebel was from Sidon. There was danger. There were there would be agents of Jezebel. It was in the midst of, of Baal worship. But not only that, and I think this is really the heart of it. Look at the instrument that God was about to use to provide for Elijah. Look at the rest of verse 9. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. A widow. See, what's so bad about that? There's a lot of wealthy widows who could provide for him. Maybe in the 20th century there was wealthy widows, but not back then. Widow was, was poor. She was destitute. 
In fact, built into the law of Moses in Exodus chapter 22 and Deuteronomy 27, the law of Moses specifically said, don't take advantage of a widow or an orphan or an alien. God protected widows. Widows were poor and they needed to be protected. They were poor. They were needy. They were not to be oppressed in any way. There, there were not rich widows running around Israel or Sidon. God told Elijah, go there and she's going to provide for you. I'm going to provide through her. That would have been different if God said, you go there and you provide for her. But he didn't. He said, she'll provide for you. And why do you suppose God commanded Elijah to do something as difficult as this? Remember, he had to risk his life. He had to go to Jezebel's home, live in the midst of Baal worship, and be provided for by a poor Gentile widow. Not only was it a widow, it was a Gentile widow. Elijah is zealous for the Lord God of Israel. And here's a Gentile widow who's going to take care of him. Why? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, and I think, and I think this is true throughout Elijah's being hid and being, and being crushed and being uh, in the school of God, was for God's judgment on Israel. We said this before, but I think it's the same thing again. Because of their unbelief, God wasn't ministering to them. He was silent. Not only was Elijah isolated in the first school, but now he's taken completely out of Israel. And I want you to see that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to his own town of Nazareth, used this very story to make a point. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And isn't it exciting to know that the Lord Jesus read these stories, knew them, spoke about them, the same truths that we're, we're reading and studying today. Luke chapter 4 says he came to Nazareth. They gave him the scroll from Isaiah. He read part of that and he said, it's this day, this word of God is fulfilled. But you know what? It was met with unbelief. You know what they were really saying in verse, uh, verse 22? And all who were, were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, no doubt you'll quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. In other words, they were speaking well of him, probably very proud that he could get up. You know, he's one of our boys. He's come home and he's reading the scroll from Isaiah. But unbelief was there. All they could see was that he was just a hometown boy. Unbelief. And Jesus said in verse 25, but I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And what is the Lord saying? He's simply saying that that your unbelief is just like the unbelief back in Israel. Israel wouldn't accept Elijah as a prophet from God, and neither are you accepting me for who I am. And God's going to bypass you just like he bypassed Israel. And he sent Elijah to a Gentile widow, not a Jewish widow. And so you see, it's God's judgment. And that's what Jesus was really saying. There's another reason God sent Elijah. 
to Zarephath, and that was for his own protection. You say, wait a minute, he's in, he's in Jezebel's home place. How is that protection? Well, uh, I think that that's the last place they would look for him. I think it's a great place to hide him. Last place they're going to look for Elijah is right in Baal headquarters. But I think there's another reason, and I think this is the heart of it, why God sent Elijah to Zarephath, and that was to teach him humility. Teach him humility. This is a lesson in humility. Think of how humbling this had to be to Elijah to receive charity from a Gentile widow. To be dependent upon the poorest of the poor, to accept relief from one who didn't even have enough to meet her own needs, let alone his needs. You know why God did this? Because Elijah needed to be humbled. He needed to be humbled. Here was a rugged and a rustic mountain man, an individual who would have taken on Ahab and all the prophets of Baal and Jezebel single-handed. But God says, Elijah, you need a lesson to learn who you really are and who I am. You need to know that you're not a big shot. You need to know that that when these great victories come and you stand on Mount Carmel and you call down fire from heaven and I do all these miracles through you, you need to remember that it's not you, it's me. You're nothing. I'm everything and I'm going to show you how small you really are. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to refine you. You know, each of us needs to learn humility like Elijah did. If you're going to have an effective public ministry, you need to learn in private. Great lesson of humility. So what is humility? Well, it doesn't mean having a poor self-image. It doesn't mean having a low self-esteem. It's that lowly attitude of mind which sees self as nothing but a channel through which God operates. See, it's, a, it's an attitude. It's a lowliness of mind which sees self as nothing but a channel through which God operates. And all effective servants have humility. That's why you can't base a person's uh, success in, in ministering just on the externals, on numbers, on other things. Because, because unless there's humility there, God's not going to bless internally. Humility is that elusive character trait that we cannot see in ourselves. If you think you've got it, you just lost it. Others can see it in us and thus give credit where credit belongs, to Jesus Christ. The more we come to know Christ and His holiness the more we will see ourselves as totally dependent upon Him. Pride in what we may be and do for Him limits what He can do through us. Pray that God will develop humility in our character so that He gets all the glory and praise. Thank you for joining our class today. I pray that this study has been enlightening and helpful in your walk with the Lord Jesus. If we here at Verse by Verse can be of any further help to you, please call us at 727 727- We would love to pray with you or answer any questions you may have about this study. I'd also invite you to visit our website, versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G, to check out the many resources that are available free of charge. You can listen to this study again right there online or download it for review and further insights. This message is just one part of a series of messages on the prophet Elijah. There are many other messages you can download or listen to at your convenience. You can also sign up for our free podcast service so that you won't miss a single study. Verse by Verse is supported by the prayers and financial gifts of interested listeners like you. 
We depend on the Lord to provide for the costs of producing and airing these Bible studies. If you would like to have a part in this ministry, you may contribute online at versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Support Us link at the top of the page. You can also send your contribution by mail if that is more convenient. Our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Our phone number once again is 727-239-0306. Thank you for praying for and giving to this ministry. On the next Verse by Verse program, Pastor Steve will lead us in a study of how God developed humility in his servant Elijah. Be sure to be in class ready to take notes. For the entire staff of Verse by Verse, I'm Jerry Pruden thanking you for being here today. See you next time on Verse by Verse. We are here to give you strength between